The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray, and this is episode zero. If you're a multifamily investor, an aspiring investor, you're already in the real estate industry, maybe specifically the multifamily industry. Well, we designed and we built the Gray Report for you. Well, that's at least partially true. We actually we really started for ourselves at first. We're trying to understand, track, and stay on top of everything that was going on in the multifamily industry. Really, this was in the thick of the COVID pandemic. The markets are moving so quickly. There's so much research data that comes out, but very little analysis, especially compared to other investment asset classes. So we wanted to understand for ourselves and stay on top of it. But then we said, why don't we share this? Why don't we disseminate this information? And that has really been the core of the Gray Report. But before we just talk about the Gray Report, why we're doing this, I wanted to share a little bit with you about who I am, what Gray Capital is. I'm the firm that's behind the Gray Report. And then again, just kind of getting into what to expect for the Gray Report in the future. Again, my name is Spencer Gray. I'm the president of a real estate investment company called Gray Capital. We're based in Indianapolis, Indiana. But more important than that, I'm a father to two girls, going to be three here in about two months. Now wife, Alex and I, beautiful woman, partner, business partner, best friend, Alex. She's an integral part of the company as well. Founded the company together back in 2015. I love real estate. I love business. I also love the outdoors. I'm an avid fly fisherman, conventional tackle fisherman, big bow hunter, love hiking, rock climbing, the ocean, the mountains. Also love music. Actually went to school for music at Indiana University Jacobs School of Music. I studied uh, recording arts, production, music composition. Um, I played saxophone there. Um, I play quite a few instruments. I'm a, you know, I am a jack of all trades, master of none. But uh, give me something that makes sound. I can make something sound pretty decent. But I've always loved entrepreneurship. I've always wanted to build a business. And I went to music school hoping I could really build a business um, based on my passion for music. I've really let my passions um, guide me, to be honest. And especially early on, um, I really was just leading with my heart and not focused on necessarily all the business fundamentals. And that led me to not really being able to figure out how to make a sustainable business in music. Um, after you know, I was born, raised in Indianapolis, after school then uh, at IU, Jacob School of Music in Bloomington, I moved out to New York City, working in recording studios, really trying to cut my teeth in the music industry in New York City. And um, while loved being in the city and I loved doing that, I decided I did not want to live in New York City for the rest of my life. I didn't love it that much. Um, so my then girlfriend, now wife Alex and I, made a long trip back to our hometown of Indianapolis, where I continued to work as a recording engineer. Um, but I also was getting into real estate, um, flipping houses on the side. I'd actually flipped my first home back in 2006. Um, when I was still in high school, I got roped into it. I have a buddy's father was doing it. He wanted to teach his son. Um, his son needed to go find a partner. And I was that partner. And I look back at that as a real light bulb moment for me where real estate became an idea and a concept that was possible. You know, I didn't know everything about it, but I knew it was there. And it made sense. And you're not just, you know, simplicity of people need a, a home. People need shelter over their head. Um, it was tangible. It was something I could do. And I thought I understood it to a degree. 
Even though we didn't make any money, um, I think we lost a little bit of money on that first deal. We ran into the great financial crisis. Credit disappeared overnight. Um, it was a good eye-opener. Luckily, it wasn't a tragic loss. Um, it was much more of a learning experience and has paid dividends you know, to this day. Fast forward again, back in Indianapolis, trying to you know, be a recording engineer. I was doing a lot of actual audiobook productions, working for audible.com as a freelancer, recording audiobooks, edi- editing audiobooks, recording you know, musicians, whatever I could do. I was building a business plan to open a recording studio, and I just could not see the long-term prospects. And that's when really my entrepreneurial side of me really started taking over and saying, well, I think I'm more excited about building a business than I am just building a business in you know, the music industry or revolving around my skill set. What else is there out there? I was thinking I was, I was drinking a you know, pint of craft beer with a buddy of mine um, and my now wife, Alex, talking about, we're talking about beer. We were seeing all these craft breweries opening up. And we started just asking ourselves, you know, I wonder where they're getting all these ingredients from. The growth is so strong. There's got to be something to that. And, you know, we see all these people making, all these brewers making these hoppy IPAs. And we asked, you know, could we grow hops in Indiana and would brewers buy them from us? You know, Indiana is a very strong agricultural state. Uh, We can grow a lot of things really well. We did, didn't know what we didn't know, but the first thing we did, I started calling up craft brewers and asking them if they needed hops. They told me they couldn't get them. There was a hop shortage. I asked them if I had them, would they buy them from me? They said, absolutely. So I started making calls and eventually flew out to Yakima, Washington, started literally banging on hop farmers' doors, trying to learn about what they did. And I quickly started signing um, contracts with these farmers, long-term futures contracts, three, five, seven years into the future to then go to sell and assign to brewers. Um, Simultaneously, started building out what would eventually become the largest hop farm in the state of Indiana, founded the Indiana Hop Growers Association. And um, we all of a sudden were the largest hop distributor in the Midwest, not just selling hops to craft breweries in Indiana, but throughout the Midwest, throughout the country. Um, we were exporting internationally to Europe, Russia, um, Central and South America. And we had just learned about this industry a year and a half prior. It went very quickly. and It was a lot of fun, uh, you know, at meetings at, you know, 9, 10 a.m., having a you know, pint of whatever imperial um, whatever the brewer was proud of. Um, it, it was a different industry and it was a lot of fun. Um, but we got to a point where we were preparing to develop a, about a $3 million processing facility, the largest of its kind outside of the Pacific Northwest. And I was sitting with, down with our accountants, partners, and looking at the long-term business prospects. And we saw not very uh, like unfavorable growth projections in the industry and our margins shrinking and to be honest, a more or less unsustainable business model. Um, we fortunately had entered the market at the right time. We are the, some of the unsold future contracts that we had, um, signed from farmers, um, had increased in value significantly. And, while all this was going on, I, in my free time, I was reading about real estate and multifamily investing. And I was just comparing the two businesses. 
the scalability. And again, this got back to my passion, not necessarily to just follow my passion, but to build a business that I'm passionate about, but a real sustainable business, to be able to build a large business. I couldn't figure it out in the music industry. I jumped into the hops industry and the beer industry. Then this real estate thing, it was just hanging out there, staring at me. I had done it a handful of times because I had flipped houses kind of in between all of this. That looked like the business that made the most sense. So my wife, Alex, and I decided we would sell the business. We sold it to a competitor. We sold our future contracts that were significantly valuable, sold our contracts with brewers, you know, relatively clean transaction. While all at the same time, I really began focusing all my energy on networking, having a lunch, having a breakfast, a coffee with anyone who would take you know, 15, 20 minutes who was in the real estate industry to talk to us, lenders, brokers, attorneys, other operators, people who were doing something similar to what we thought we wanted to do. You know, until then, I had a conversation with a syndicator, and I didn't know what syndication was at the time, but I knew he was buying apartment buildings. They looked interesting. They were the kind of apartment buildings we wanted to buy. Um, but the more I learned, the more I didn't know. And I wanted to maximize our chance of success. I've done it. I'd done enough re- real estate deals where I had, you know, I paid for my education. I'd made some mistakes. They were valuable mistakes, and I learned those lessons. I wasn't looking to make a whole lot of mistakes on this next investment. We were looking to, you know, parlay the proceeds from the hops business into this new venture. And I I wasn't in the, in the mood to, you know, learn a new industry and not work out. I wanted to be, I wanted to maximize our chance of success. Even at the first, we wanted to do it all our, by ourselves, but we quickly realized we just wouldn't be able to. There's so much that we didn't know. And even if we were going to give up a little bit of you know potential return and profit um, for partnering with someone and learning the right way to do it, we thought that that was worth it. So that's what we did. We eventually partnered with another syndicator um, as a co-general partner. So we co-sponsored the project. We signed on the loan. We assisted in due diligence. Um, and we closed on our first uh, 200 plus apartment community back in 2015. Um, we went on to do over 15 co-sponsorships where we were a co-general partner, where we involved in building the business plan, the due diligence and the asset management of the property. They would still handle the day-to-day operations. Um, but we were actually able to maintain, um, control over the projects themselves. Um, we were able to fortunately negotiate that into our position and it's been a great partnership with that group. We still do projects with them today. But then about a couple of years ago, about 2000, mid-2018, um, really in 2019, Alex and I decided, you know, we felt that we could do things just a little bit different. We had the experience we've done, had done over, you know, 10 co-GP syndications at that point. We'd also invested in another 12 or so syndications as a limited partner, really just trying to learn the style of other operators, different syndicators, different markets, different strategies, with the idea of we could take a little bit of the best of all the people that we've worked with and knew about, benchmarking who we were impressed with, distilling that down and building a firm with that foundation, having institutional quality 
processes and procedures, but still having the ability to be nimble and flexible and hungry like a, you know, a young company. Um, at that point, we had thousands of units in our portfolio, done tons of deals, but it felt like we were really just at the beginning. Even though people looked at us and say, wow, you've all have accomplished so much. You've done all these deals, done all these great deals. You have so many units in your portfolio. And it was something that we were incredibly proud of, but I just, we hadn't built the business. We hadn't built the team. And that really was our goal, not just to do a lot of deals, but to build a sustainable business um, that would continue for decades. I was actually at a, the Bigger Pockets conference in 2019, and um, Brandon Turner was on stage, and he said, there's one thing in your business that you know right now that you need to do. It's the next step. It's the one thing that's holding you back. You have to take that step, and that will propel you forward. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And I knew we had to expand our team. We had to bring the team in-house. Alex has been imp- instrumental in building the company. We had went from having you know just her and I to having you know, two young kids, and more of her time was focused on you know taking care of the kids. You know I'm incredibly involved too, but there's only so much time between the two of us. And I I, ha- I could only do so much. I also knew that I wasn't the best at everything. I could underwrite deals. I could negotiate, um, talk with brokers, raise capital. But one person can't do everything. And I wanted to find someone that was better um, at the deal process, the transaction process than I was. Um, so I wrote it down. I was at that Bigger Pockets conference. I wrote down I need to hire an acquisitions director. And so I started looking. And I eventually interviewed a ton of people, had a lot of meetings, a lot of people we got very close with. So I was really looking for a partner, um, you know, not just you know somebody to come in and you know, knock out some numbers, but someone who was going to help us build this business and saw the opportunity. I knew they would be taking a huge risk, but I thought that it would be well worth it for someone who decided to make the leap with us. Eventually, uh, met Jay Reader, who was working for um, Gene B. Glick Company, which is a huge apartment um, operator here in central Indiana, a huge affordability component. Um, I, I think you know they've got at least over 10,000 units. Very large developer. They've been around since the 60s. Incredibly philanthropic organization. A great company to benchmark. Um, I didn't think he was going to come over. But he took the leap and he said, he said yes. And so we started getting together in the middle of March 2020. We had only been together for a couple of days when the world shut down. The NBA season ended, Tom Hanks got COVID, school shut down. So, and we had to, I was getting ready to sign a, a lease on a kind of a co-working space, needing a, wanting a place to work out of, not outside of our homes, but then that all stopped. Didn't sign a lease. We went to working out of our, out of our homes in our basements. In one of the most unprecedented and uncertain times, certainly in our life, a lot of investors, a lot of people in our space we're saying, um, even men, you know, mentors to us and major anchor investors that I had worked with, they were sitting this one out. They're going to wait to see how everything fell into place, and they would not be making any allocations this year. A lot of people were out of the market. People were expecting collections to drop by, well, no one knew, 5, 10, 15, 20, 
fifty percent. We were doing all these stress tests on all of our assets. You know, we were invested in over the thirty-five different properties um, at this given moment. Um, running models, just seeing what was going to break. What was that? What was that breaking point? And but we still decided. We looked around. We really waited. Got through April, and we didn't see the ground falling underneath our feet. And I looked around. And I said, this could be one of the most incredible opportunities of our lifetime. There's stimulus. There is eventually rental assistance. People are prioritizing a place to live. Unemployment benefits. Bigger than that, though, was just the incredible mismatch of supply and demand in the housing market. We had known this. We'd been investing in it. I've been tracking the data, seeing the huge gap between demand for housing the demographic shifts of millennials and baby boomers, and just the lack of supply that had been built over the last decade since the great financial crisis. I said, I, don't, I know that there could be some volatility, but if we're looking at this out of a five-year time frame, seven or 10-year time frame, this makes sense. I don't know what's gonna happen this year. I can't predict the next 24 months. But the supply and demand is so clear, especially in a lot of the markets we were looking at in the Midwest. So we continued on acquisitions. Um, we had two deals under contract, a 165-unit property in Indianapolis and a 36-unit um, condo deconversion in, in Indianapolis. We went on to closing those transactions. Um, those were our first projects as lead sponsors. And we got those done just just. Barely. It was, it was a struggle to raise the capital. Um, we had to pull every string and every contact we knew to raise the, the money. It was about $2.2 for each project. Then we got, a, we got a lead on a great deal up in Mishawaka, South Bend, MSA. Actually, it's in Granger, Indiana. 290 units, 60-some million. I think $64 million was the, was the whisper price. Jay reader our director of acquisitions came in and said this is a deal and i'm like jay this is a big deal gotta raise what 15 million dollars well fast forward we got it done one of the main reasons why is we brought on somebody else we had to the team uh, matt bosnoggle who is our director of communications and marketing I was so busy you know, working on deals, talking to investors. I wanted to systemize our communication strategy, build out a real platform. But then I also, I saw an opportunity out of my frustration to trying to stay on top of the latest research, latest news, latest articles. Like we got to start staying on top of this and aggregating it. And what if we started sending this stuff out to people? Like, I hate it when I would find a research report that was old. And I'm like, I would have read this when it came out, but I had never gotten an alert. I'm on their email list, but they didn't email it to me. They don't post this anywhere. They're not disseminating these reports very effectively. Couldn't find a really good reason. I'm like, well, why don't we just stay on top of it? We know who's releasing them. Let's create some RSS feeds. Let's get some virtual assistants. And let's start sending these reports to people. This is what people need to know. 
in making informed decisions is going to lead us to better investment outcomes. And it can be a lot of information. So maybe we gave a little bit of commentary and help people, you know, point to what you should be reading and the analysis and you know, just trying to break things down. We just didn't see a lot of that going on. So we started doing that with the Gray Report. Started out as just a newsletter, aggregating some articles, again, all the research reports that we saw that were coming out, emailing them out every week. And um, it was really well received. Then we started doing a Gray Report newsletter recap videos on YouTube. Once a week, we would basically go through the newsletter and break down the articles. So back to the $64 million deal up in Granger. It was six times, essentially, the last equity raise that we had struggled to do. And while it wasn't all the query report, there was other things, a lot of other connections being made. What I do know is we raised that money in a fraction of the time than it took our last two deals. It took probably three or four weeks compared to, you know, two months, you know, six weeks on the last two for six times the amount of that capital close that deal in december of 2020 it's been one of the better deals i've ever been a part of we've continued to grow the team i have nine full-time employees going to be hiring on more we've brought construction in-house going to bring property management in-house over the next 12 months and we're launching our first fund the gray fund um, that's going to be launched in february we're going to raise $100 million over the next 18 months to acquire $300 million worth of assets over a good 24 months or so. Stabilize assets, mostly Midwestern markets, B&A, value-add opportunities. And that's incredibly exciting for me and my whole team. Again, I'm more excited about building our team and building our company, building institutional practices and procedures to be able to facilitate these acquisitions and then being able to help investors and partners get into this business, get into this industry and make great decisions. Um, I've seen the benefit that multifamily real estate has provided my family and myself. And I wish more people knew about it as an investment vehicle. Um, I say that biasly, but also as you know, from the bottom of my heart, I think people should be diversified and the, I tell every investor that works with us, you know, love for you to invest with great capital. But I think as long as you're getting allocated into some good markets, some good operators, I'm really happy. So what are you going to expect from the great report? You're going to ex you're going to find the same type of analysis, breaking down research reports, articles, everything's going on in the multifamily industry. On top of the housing markets of single family homes, build to rent, other asset classes inside of commercial real estate. But we're also going to be examining, you know, what's going on in the macro economy. What is moving these markets? Um, you know, not always does this, the stock market is often, you know, uncorrelated to the real estate market, but sometimes, you know, all markets are slightly correlated. And we want to see where those ebbs and flows are, how investors are reacting to paint a fuller picture. But what also you're going to see is more interviews, one-on-one -on -one interviews, not just with, with owners um, and really industry insiders, some syndicators, but it's going to be less of a focus just on the capital raisers and the syndicators and people who are kind of doing what we're doing, although we'll have plenty of those folks on. 
it's going to be a lot of like the research guys. It's going to be people who are putting together these research reports, the analysts, um, the brokers, the lenders, really a lot of the inside people in the industry who are, I think, are much more in the trenches than the guys who are, you know, just putting the deal together. Even somebody like myself who is, you know, doing marketing and looking at deals, talking to investors, building investment strategy. We're going to be talking to people who put these reports together, who see all the data and are looking at it from a much more unbiased um, lens. So beyond keeping you informed, up to date on what's going on in the industry, we're excited for you to come along on this journey with us in the great capital. So again, I, we have a lot to be proud of today. We've, we feel like we have comp- accomplished a lot. But at the same time, we really try not to focus or dwell on that. And we really feel, I truly feel like we are just getting started. We're just beginning. We're in a brand new office space. We're adding to the team. We're launching a fund. There's a lot of great new things. And what great capital looks like today isn't what we looked like a year ago or especially two years ago. And when you see us next year, it's going to be entirely different in a great way. We're going to be a bigger team, a stronger team. We're going to have done more deals. We're going to have had some great guests. And I'm just looking forward for you to being here kind of every step of the way to share this journey with us. So please make sure you subscribe to this podcast, whether it is wherever you listen to your podcasts, but also, you know, these episodes are also going to be posted to our YouTube channel, the Great Capital LLC YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe to that as well. We'd love for you to give us a review, um, a rating, and especially comment or feedback. If there's ever anything, any topic you would like to see covered, let us know, and we're going to put that to the top, to the top of our list. I truly appreciate you taking the time to learn more about the Gray Report, a little bit about myself, Great Capital, what we do, what makes us excited. Again, looking forward for you to come on the journey with us. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks. My name is Spencer Gray, president of Gray Capital, host of the Gray Report. We'll see you on the next one.